0: In London during World War II, the air raid siren sounded, and everybody out on the street hustled down into the subways, packed in tight, shoulder to shoulder, and then the lights went out. And uh, when they came back on, a young woman said to her boyfriend, Herbert, you shouldn't have done that shouldn't have done what, he said. You shouldn't have kissed me while the lights were out. He said, I didn't kiss you, but I'd like to find the guy who did. I'd teach him a thing or two. And she said, oh, Herbert, you couldn't teach him anything. Uh, When it comes to preaching on the second coming of Christ, I feel a little bit like Herbert. There are guys out there with a lot more pizzazz than me. Guys who do some calculations with numbers and figure out when the Lord will return or the identity of the Antichrist. Guys who match today's headlines with obscure texts from Ezekiel and Zechariah. Guys who come up with juicy tidbits like the claim that even now, Huge stones for the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem have been quarried and shaped and are in storage in Kmart's marts all over the United States, waiting for the day when they're needed. Listen, compared to that, what is a theological Herbert supposed to do? Well, I think that the Bible's teaching On the return of the king, the second advent is exciting enough without being jazzed up. See if you don't agree over the next few weeks, beginning with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Open your Bibles, please, to the text that you heard Terry read just a few minutes ago. Paul's first letter to the church in Thessalonica, the fourth chapter, and our text begins at verse 13 where Paul writes, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. In his very brief ministry in Thessalonica, Paul had found time to teach them about the second coming of Christ, which, as uh, I'll unpack a little bit more in the weeks to come, is significant to realize that even though he only had a couple of weeks with them really, He thought that the second advent was important enough to include in his basic instruction of this church that he started. But after Paul left under duress and went on to evangelize other cities, some of the believers in Thessalonica died, whether through natural causes or from persecution, doesn't matter. The church found itself wondering if their dead brothers and sisters were going to miss out on the happiness and the glory of the second advent. So here, Paul gives them some further instruction. He says you'll grieve naturally, but uh, you don't have to grieve hopelessly because, as he'll go on to say in the rest of the paragraph, your dead brothers and sisters are not going to miss out on anything. I have probably preached more often on 1 Thessalonians 4.13 than any verse in the Bible because I have officiated at hundreds of funerals. And here's hope. We grieve the loss of those we love, but we don't grieve in the same way or to the same degree as people who are without hope. Here is hope. Death is sleep, Paul says. A euphemism, which the dictionary defines as an agreeable term for a disagreeable thing. Now, I don't think Paul's using a euphemism here. I think this is a powerful re- reality, and it comes up twice more in this text, and again in chapter 5, that death for the believer is sleep, from which we awaken to life with a capital L. And at the funerals where I have read and expounded on this verse, I have said that death is not a wall, it's a door. Or as C.S. Lewis put it, all of our life in this world is but the title page. And when we die, we begin the great story that goes on forever and ever, in which each chapter is better than the one before. There's hope. And that's where Paul starts this passage on the return of the king. Verse 14. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have, there it is again, fallen asleep in him. Jesus' victory assures us of our victory. We who are united by faith to Jesus participate in his life and Death and resurrection and ascension and return. What he achieved, he achieved for his people. And so his coming again is something that we too will participate in. His resurrection assures his people that death will not ultimately, finally separate us from his father. And when he comes again, this verse says, he will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in him. They're already with him. Now, the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about the intermediate state in between physical death and the resurrection. Christians tend to fill in the gap in information with all kinds of theories, and you'll hear some of them at funerals. But we do know this. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So those Thessalonian believers and your friends and family who trusted Christ but have since died are with him and he will bring them with him when he comes. On that day, he'll bring my dad and my mom and my brother Dan and Norm Richards and Gene Story and Martin Luther, and Billy Graham, and Paul, and Peter, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and millions and millions and millions of Jesus people following in his train. It's no wonder that an old gospel song says, oh, what a day, what a glorious day that will be. Verse 15. According to the Lord's own word, and a pause there, it could be that Paul is referring to a a saying of Jesus that is not recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Or it could be that this is a word from the Lord directly to Paul as an inspired apostle. But either way, what, what follows is not recorded in the canonical Gospels. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive and are left till the coming of the Lord Will certainly not precede those who have, here it is again, fallen asleep. So he says to those grieving, wondering Thessalonian believers there is no particular disadvantage for those brothers and sisters who have already fallen asleep, and there's no particular advantage to those believers who are still alive when. the the king returns. In fact, those who are asleep will be raised first. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Do you realize that we're reading about the greatest event in history? Or one of the greatest, anyways, right up there with the creation and with the first advent when God became man at Bethlehem. But this is big. And it sounds kind of noisy. A loud command. Well, what will that command be? We're not told, but we can guess. One day outside of Bethany, the Lord of life stood by a tomb and said, Lazarus, come out. And many have speculated that the reason he said Lazarus when there was really only one person in the tomb is because if the Lord of life said, come out, they'd all come out. <laughs> and that's what's going to happen someday. A loud command, come And then, the voice of the archangel, the greatest of the angels, the herald, what will the angel say? We're not told, but we can guess. The herald may say, hear ye, hear ye, all men and women of this earth, here is the day spring, his royal majesty, the desire of Of heaven, the desire of nations, Emmanuel, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Prince of peace, the Son of David, the root of David, all hail, King Jesus. The voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God. I thought about bringing my trumpet. You didn't know I could play that, do you? I can't. I could once upon a time, and that's why I thought I better not bring it to illustrate today. But end times prophecy abounds in trumpet imagery. Uh, We read in Matthew 24 when Jesus talks about his return, that there will be a loud trumpet. We read about a series of trumpets in the book of Revelation. And we read in 1 Corinthians that the resurrection and rapture of the church will take place at the last trumpet. And with all that noise, the sleepers will wake up. The dead in Christ will rise first. Why? We're not told, but we can guess. Maybe they rise and are reunited soul and body so that we can see them coming. But they'll rise first. And then, verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up with them. Pause there. This is where we get the word rapture. Do You know what that word means? It's been a long time since I've seen the bumper sticker, but there used to be a bumper sticker that people would put on the back of their car that would say, warning, driver will leave at the rapture. Driver will disappear, something like that. I, I imagine that most people reading that would have no idea what it means. But um, what it means is rapture is basically the Latin term for Paul's Greek in this verse, to be caught up. When the Bible was translated into Latin, the verb form, rapio, was used for this verse, and it's from that that we get the word rapture. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up, raptured, with those resurrected sleepers in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. In Corinthians, Paul writes, I'm going to show you a mystery. Now, a mystery in the Bible is truth that is previously unrevealed that God is now making known, and uh, he says, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed I've heard that there are church nurseries that have that posted on the wall. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Um, What he means is we won't all die, but we will, all of us, get resurrection bodies. We'll be changed. God's people knew for centuries that at the end of time there would be a resurrection. What they did not know until Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, revealed it to the church is that even those who are living at the last day will get resurrection bodies. We will all be changed. You've probably heard me tell the story of the old farmer who took his family to the big city for the first time. They had never been to the city. They'd never seen what a city has to offer. The tall buildings, the crowds. They, they walked around just looking, taking it all in. He took his wife to a department store, and then he and his son went to a bank, the tallest building in the city, and there in the lobby he saw something he had never seen before. There were two steel doors that opened and closed this way, and an old woman, barely able to walk, hobbled into the little room, the doors closed, some numbers over the door changed, and when the doors opened came out a stunning young blonde. He said to his son, you stay here. I'm going to go fetch your ma and run her through that thing. No less amazing is the change that's going to take place in all of Jesus' people. Whether dead or alive, when he comes again, we will all be changed. And we will meet the Lord in the air. Not to stay forever in the clouds. This staple of cartoons about the life to come. Somebody sitting on a cloud, strumming a harp. We meet him in the clouds, but we return to the earth where he'll reign. Heaven will be on earth. And the word that Paul uses when he says we will meet the Lord in the air is sometimes used in first century Greek literature to describe the meeting of a dignitary who is coming to visit a city. Word would get out that he was on his way and the leaders of the city would go out to meet him and then escort him back into their city. This is the picture that Paul presents of the resurrection rapture. Those of his church who are alive at the time We'll be caught up with the resurrected, dead in Christ, the sleeping who are now awakened to meet the Lord in the air and then accompany him back to his earthly kingdom. And we will be with the Lord forever. That's the emphasis. Not exactly when or how or how long we'll be in the air, but we'll be with the Lord. And that's what matters. Therefore, verse 18... Encourage one another with these words. Anybody here need encouragement these days? (laughs) An election doesn't go the way you think it should. Ah, but a perfect king is coming. The doctor says it's incurable. Ah, but the Lord of life is coming. Seems like the whole world is on crazy pills. Ah, but the Prince of Peace is coming. A loved one of yours dies, of course you'll grieve. But the risen Christ is coming. David and Karen Maines wrote a series of stories, supposedly for children. I love them. The Tales of the Kingdom. They're set in a fictional place called Great Park, where servants of the King live try to serve him despite opposition. There are rangers who are responsible for the safety of Great Park, and they have a call and response. How goes the world? The world goes not well, but the kingdom comes. How goes our world? The world goes not well. But the king comes. Let's pray and then we'll sing again. Come thou long expected Jesus. (laughs) We mean what we sang. And we join the church down through the centuries in longing for the second advent, praying, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Till then, help us to be faithful at our posts so that when the king comes, he'll find us doing his bidding, furthering his cause, and eagerly anticipating seeing him face to face. Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake we pray and let all his people say,